0: The man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? My name is Brendan Wall. I am the founder and host of the Dad the Man podcast. Now, before we get started, if you haven't already, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. I cannot thank you enough for the support. Today's guest is none other than Nate Checkitz. Nate is the co founder and CEO of Roan, a men's performance lifestyle brand founded in 2014. Prior to Roan, Nate worked for and consulted with some of the biggest technology and entertainment properties in the world, including Cisco, the NFL, Legends, Fan Vision, and Sports Radar. Nate is also an avid entrepreneur who founded and launched four companies by the age of 30, including Roan and Mangia Technologies, whose patents were later acquired by the San Francisco 49ers. In 2020, Nate was selected by the Sports Business Journal to their 2020 list of 40 leaders under 40. In addition to Roan, Nate also serves as chairman of the board to Beyond Type 1, a nonprofit dedicated to the community of those with type 1 diabetes. Nate carries himself with a calm confidence that is rooted in humility and appreciation, and he's one of the most thoughtful and intentional people that I've ever had the opportunity to speak with. But above it all, he's an incredible man, husband, and father, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Nate Checkets. All right, and we are live. Uh, welcome everybody to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall. I am your host. Uh, today we have a very special guest that I'm so excited to speak with, Nate Checkets. Uh, Nate, I want to first, you know, before I, I bring you in here and toss you the mic, I just want to acknowledge you, acknowledge what you have built with your company, with Roan. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of companies that make products. There's a lot of companies that make great products. There's not a lot of companies that are very evidently on this just continuous journey to, I mean, honestly produce the best quality product possible. And you guys are doing that and you seem to be doing it very, very well. And on top of that, what I really appreciate about the brand that you guys have built is, You know, not just caring about the clothes that you make, but you care about the people who wear those clothes. And that means a lot to me. Like when I look out into the market today, um, and I think this is getting better, but when I look into the market and even in society a little bit more generally, I don't see a ton of messaging and branding around empowering men, encouraging men to get together, get better, be more capable human beings to, you know, not just professionally or, you know, athletically or whatever it is, but more so about being better men, husbands and fathers and um, you know, seeing what Ron has done and, uh, you know, seeing everything that you guys did, you know, I guess back in June uh, with mental health awareness and everything like that. It's so cool to see it. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I want to say thanks for leading from the front in, in, uh, in that regard. And um, all that being said, Nate Check, it's welcome to the show, brother.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me, Brendan. And uh, I really appreciate what you said and led with. I had to quickly hit mute because I have mistakenly put in uh, an Amazon Alexa in our room. Uh, and that's how the kids love to communicate. So they <laughs> they will just like in the middle of meetings, just start like sending an announcement. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's to your point in terms of kind of driving home this message around men's mental health, it's part of what motivated us to just get started Um, When we identified the brand opportunity with Roan that, you know, there were all of these female focused um, direct-to-consumer activewear brands. And then there were these mass market brands that we've all grown up with um, that were predominantly distributed through wholesalers. And that's where most men were buying their activewear. It felt like there was an opportunity to make a direct-to-consumer activewear line focused around men. And so we said, okay, there's a business here, but is there, you know, is there anything else? Because I, I just don't get excited about making a widget and then selling a widget. It's not. It, it needed to mean more to me to, to do that. And part of what really drove me is I have these three sons, and, um, you know, I grew up with three brothers, and something I'm really passionate about is, you know, is kind of raising this next generation of, of men, you know, to, to stand up and, and to fulfill their duties. And, um, you know, we have this interesting social conversation happening right now around gender equality, um, and it's so important. You know, the, the data is really clear on it. Women are generally underpaid relative to men. Um, there are long established histories of, of mistreatment um, and certainly some clear modern examples of men behaving badly. But in that same breath, as we identify you know, what not to do, I don't think it's gonna get better by shame. You know, th- what's really, really clear, if you um, study therapy and, uh, and, and, and treatment and how people react, shame is one of the worst things that can happen. We need to understand what we need to improve. We need to understand what needs to be avoided. But we also need to be shown examples of what to do and how to act and how to fix things and how to get better when we inevitably fall down. And so for me, for those who are motivated for equality, one of the best investments we can make is in educating and teaching and strengthening um, both the current generation and future generation of men coming up to, to, to learn from the mistakes of past generations and to feel empowered... And confident in their ability to contribute, not shame and remorse and hiding in the corner because that won't do anyone any any good. So it's part of what I what I care really deeply about. And you know, we spend a lot of time on it more more time than I think most brands do um, in terms of kind of what is our message, how do we want our customers to feel, what's going on in their lives, how can we contribute and give them value above and beyond the product that we're selling, and um, I'm not sure that it always balances out on kind of the accounting ledger, but it does make it a lot more meaningful for me to get up and be passionate about going to work and thinking about this megaphone that we've developed. How do we make it both bigger and more powerful and make sure that we're putting the right content through it?
0: That's, I mean, what an incredible answer. I think we could just go ahead and uh, cut cut the show right there. Uh, <laughs> everything that you just said, I mean, there's so much of that that, you know, I, I think, When I hear that, I I agree 100% with everything you just said. And I think about, you know, boiling that all the way down to just parenting. You know, like I think about that. I've got two boys, four and two. I think about parenting them. Like, is my point in like just simple example, discipline is the point to discipline them and get them in trouble or is the point to empower them to learn from a mistake and be a better person because they made the mistake and I had the opportunity to teach them. And I think that's something that gets lost a lot of times. And then, you know, I I just see that as the most simple scaled down version of what you're saying, but you're right. It projects out into the world, you know, as, as we operate.
1: It's interesting. I was reading, um, last night an article by a friend of mine, Ryan Holiday, who's a great author and somebody I'd recommend, you know, his, his readings. He's, he's really, in my mind, one of our generation's best thinkers. You can tell just the way he processes information, but he, he told this great story about, um, Uh, what's called the Statue of Responsibility. We all know the Statue of Liberty um, on Liberty Island, just off of Manhattan, and uh, really a great beacon for for those who have arrived in this country about freedom. Um, But Viktor Frankl, who wrote one of my all-time favorite books, Man's Search for Meaning, who was a concentration camp survivor, um, had proposed that uh, in this country, we put a statue on the opposite side of the coast called the Statue of Responsibility. And the Statue of Responsibility was meant to say, liberty comes with a price tag. It comes with um, the requirement that we are responsible, and we show both self and country responsibility in terms of the way that we act and the way that we behave. And responsibility is a word that we talk a lot about, um, both, in our, both in the check its Home, and also at Roan because um, it, it, it helps you feel like there's something you can do about it, right? Mm-hmm. So when our kids um, get into the normal spats of, of siblings, the first question we will always ask them is, okay, if you're about to tell me what the other person did, you need to first start with what you did. I need to hear, you know, and, and it's this, this idea of creating self-responsibility that I think is really lost. Most of the time you hear people shifting blame and, uh, and and pointing fingers and you know talking about whatever else has gone wrong in their life. And very rarely do we take this self accountability, this level of self responsibility. And I was just so struck by it. I can't stop thinking about this idea of a statue of responsibility. And you're absolutely right. Like that is empowering when giving, giving a child a choice to say, you can make this decision. Here are the consequences of that decision. You know, you can choose not to put your shoes on, but if you choose not to put your shoes on, just so you know, this is, you know, you won't be able to be allowed into the restaurant or you won't, you know, you won't be able to have this privilege and helping them self identify and take control to make the right decision. Um, And it's not perfect, but it is something that we, that we strive for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to read that post. I, I love uh, following Ryan as well. He's he truly is tremendous. Um, so to, to, to kick this thing off, I had I had planned on running through some some warm up questions, but I don't think we need it. I feel like we're pretty okay. warm at uh, at this point. Um, so I want to I want to hear a little bit about you. I want if you don't mind, kind of take us back to your childhood? Tell us a little bit about who little Nate was, what your childhood was like, uh, your your sibling dynamic, who you were as a kid, what you were into, all that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. Well, feel free to interrupt me because this could be a long (laughs) answer. Um, I'm a middle child in a big family. Um, I'm the third child out of six. Um, Grew up just in an incredible family. I have amazing parents. Um, Many people know uh, my dad was a successful sports business executive, worked in the NBA, um, both in the NBA headquartered office, and then was um, uh, was at the Jazz and then at the NBA and then at uh, the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Um, but my mom is every part his equal. She's incredible. Um, you know, not only did she have six kids, but she was so present in all of our lives. Um, and uh, and it was it was just an incredible childhood. Like I I I tell everyone I I, I had no choice but to but to come out right because everything was set up well. I had great parents. I had great siblings, um, have great siblings, have great parents. And, um, you know, I was, a, I was a little bit of an odd duck in my family. My older brother, Spencer, um, who's a sports talk radio host now, um, has a great podcast, uh, that he does a great sports podcast that he does. And is like the number one rated drive time show in the state of Utah for sports. Um, he was an incredible athlete, like, still holds some high school basketball records and everything came easy to him. Like literally everything he picked up, whether it was video games or sports or speaking, he's just a natural. <clears throat> and I was not that way. I was like the inverse of that. Everything seemed to be difficult for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember my dad um, taking me aside one day we had gone to pick Spencer up at uh, at five-star basketball camp. And if you know anything about youth basketball, five-star is like the place to go. It's where the AAU um, kids want to end up. It's the, best, yep. it's the best camp there is. And Spence was playing with a bunch of future NBA players mm-hmm. there. Um, and I was, while we were waiting for him, I was like on a side gym, just shooting a ball. And my dad came up to me and was like, Hey, have you ever considered playing, you know, playing another sport? Cause it was just clearly apparent that I was not going to be great at basketball. But I remember my basketball coach telling me like, you know, I was the kid that it was, I wish I could just take your effort and put it into so-and-so's body. Um, and so I, I transitioned into football and, um, and, 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 was a little bit more successful. And, and some of those other sports where it was like, you could just hand me the ball and I would try and run through people. Um, and, uh, and really appreciated, you know, kind of the direction and guidance that I had from great coaches, from great parents. And I learned to channel what was unique for me, which is, I, we, we call them strivers in the Rome in the, in family. It's like people who just don't give up. Who have a lot of grit, who work hard, and um, and I think there's some of that that's a little bit natural in me, but certainly something that I you know I strive to continue to be um, and uh, and to not let myself ever get complacent that way. Um, but it's yeah, that's the way I was raised. I have I have my my three brothers are my closest friends. My youngest brother Ben is our creative director, so a lot of the voice Very and cool. tone. That you see come through in our uh, photography and videography is really his voice. Um, and he's a great storyteller. So they, uh, that, that gives you a little bit of insight in, into the childhood. I was also a bit of an entrepreneur. I started a, I, I started a summer camp in my parents' backyard um, where we taught kids ages four to eight how to play sports. Wow. Um, and that camp ended up running for eight years. We were you know, at, at its peak, I think we were making like 40 or 50 grand a summer wow. just running the summer camp. Um,
0: and bad that's for a kid in the summer.
1: Yeah. That's what I used <laughs> to, to, to buy my first car. I had saved up money to buy my now wife, uh, her engagement ring later on. Um, I paid for a lot of, uh, a lot of the college expenses that I ended up incurring with that, um, and uh, yeah, my, my brothers ran it after me. So it was kind of fun. I, I, I learned the value of, of, of work and um, of kind of having an idea and putting your head down and working until you accomplish something. And a lot of that was instilled upon me by my parents, both my parents.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I love hearing you talk about your dad um, uh, and getting ready for the show. I've heard you talk about him uh, quite a bit. and. You know, you and I, I think we're blessed in the same way that we we both had two very present, focused, intentional parents. Um, And and particularly thinking about just for the context of this show, thinking about your dad, you know, your dad, obviously, like you said, extremely successful guy. If I'm not if I'm not uh, mistaken here, I think he's the youngest NBA executive in league history with the Jazz and then was with the Knicks. And then, you know, Madison Square Garden, like when the Knicks were legit, like in the in the heyday. Um so you know it's it's crazy to think that he was that uh successful professionally and also so present at home. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like what you remember about growing up with a dad who was this I really I mean a public figure externally, but also so present at home and what his relationship uh or what your relationship with him means to you now.
1: Yeah. You're gonna make me emotional. I just Honestly, I just won the lottery. Like he is the most remarkable human. He, um, what's so special about him is when you're with him, he's so present with you. I use that word. I'd use the word present and intentional. He really, um, he really, kind of gets one-on-one with people, and he cares deeply. Like there's there's no there's no tactic. To it, it is very much who he is. I remember um, when I was younger, we were walking around the garden, and the game was over. It was just me and him. I think I had the privilege of, you know, just being one-on-one with him, which didn't I didn't get all that often. You know, there's six kids; it's, it's hard yeah. <laughs> to get one-on-one time with your dad. So I was there. We were walking around the garden. He was saying goodbye to everyone, um, and walked into the restroom, and there was a janitor, like still there, you know, kind of hustling, trying to clean everything up. And my dad shook him by the hand, you know, this man has, you know, the hands of a janitor, and, um, and uh, looked him in the eye and said, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Is there anything I can do to help you? And I just never forgot that. Because whether he was talking to Patrick Ewing, the star player on the team, or he's talking to a janitor in the restroom. You know, he was the same. He really is the same to everyone, and um, has this point of view that every every person matters, every voice matters, um, and uh, he he certainly raised us that way. And the one thing that he, you know, if I ever saw him get really hot, it would be if we acted entitled or if we acted judgmental, or if we acted better than, um, that was like a, an absolute no in our household. And, um, and so I, I think it just gave me a lot of perspective because it's also important to note that the town that I was raised in um, was very much not that way. You know, I was raised in one of the wealthiest communities, a town called New Canaan, Connecticut. Many of my friend's parents were very successful executives Um, hedge fund managers or media executives Um, and we were kind of the only ones that I knew that had like four hours of Saturday jobs or you know really had to um, had to work and by no means was was life hard like we were we were very fortunate Um, but it just I think the perspective that we were given on on a daily basis and and really just in terms of my parents focus on making sure that even though we were raised in that kind of a community that it, you know, that it, that we didn't, you know, we didn't fall victim to some of the traps that can happen when you're raised in, in a place like that.
0: So give, given all that, I want to talk about the word success a little bit. So success, I think, you know, for men, when I think about that, I think it's something that we're all I think just in in some ways, just wired to, to chase it, to think about it, to pursue it, to sometimes envy it, to, it consumes us in a lot of ways, I think. Um, so two questions I'm going to throw at you one, how would you define what success is? And then two, do you feel the pressure based on how you define that to maybe live up to your dad's level of success that he's achieved personally and professionally?
1: Yeah. Well, those are really important questions. And I think they're important questions that we ask ourselves as we kind of check in and do a lot of self-awareness, but a couple of things come to mind. You know, the first is Stephen Covey used to talk about um, uh, efficacy and efficiency and that they are two different things. Sometimes we equate them to be the same, but they're not the same. And he would use this example of efficiency is, let's say that you're in a dense jungle and you're chopping your way through the jungle with a, with a big machete and you've got the right tools and you're moving through the jungle at a quick pace. This is like, you know, I've got a goal and I'm moving towards that goal <clears throat> quickly. Efficacy is that you have the compass out and you are chopping in the right direction. And if you're going to err on one or the other, you always wanna err on efficacy versus efficiency. And the reason why that's important is because it goes exactly to your point. You might find that you've got, you know, you're really efficient at, uh, chasing monetary success or job, you know, job elevation success. And then you get there and you realize your compass was pointing in the wrong direction. It's not what you, you really value as success. Um, and it's not what gives you long-term fulfillment. And, um, one quote that we used to hear all the time was given by uh, um, uh, a leader of our faith, who said, "No success can compensate for failure in the home." And um, it's just—it's such a powerful concept because it doesn't matter. You know, I'll tell you what: my kids don't care at all um, whether or not Roan sells, you know, a lot of clothing or a little clothing. They do care how I treat them. They do care about you know, whether or not I, I'm present at the right moments for them, or you know, if I decide to put work away at the right time and sit down and spend time with them. That's what they, that's what they care about. And ultimately, long term, what they care about is going to be what will lead to you know, fulfillment. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't work hard and be good fathers. I think, I think my dad's a good example of that it just means that we need to understand. And for me, what's been important of really clearly defining what I want in life and looking out long enough to ask myself, are the actions and the steps that I'm taking today pointing me from a compass perspective in the right direction towards those goals, not just, am I, am I chasing them in an efficient manner? So that's kind of the first thing. And then in terms of kind of the pressure to, follow my dad's footsteps or achieve success. Um, it's interesting because I've had this conversation with my with my brothers and I think there's probably a little bit of a mixture if you ask them. But for me, I absolutely felt a ton of pressure um, growing up and not from him. It was never really from him. It was almost always from myself. And sometimes my perceived, uh, my perception of how others felt about me. Um, and I remember, when I was a teenager, I, it's not that I was ashamed or embarrassed. It's that if I admitted or people knew who my dad was, the pressure felt almost crippling that I didn't feel like I could accomplish or, you know, I could be judged on my own merits. And so it, it was information that I was very hesitant to, to give to anyone. I, you know, if I introduced myself, I almost never said my last name. Um, and I remember when I was kind of in, you know, maybe 19 or 20, what really struck me is how silly that is. Um, And that, you know, you, you hear people, the, you know, sons of, or daughters of really successful people. And they just say, well, you know, I just want to be giving credit for the things that I've done. And I feel like it's just the complete and total opposite. Like, I, my parents deserve credit for anything good that I do, and none of the blame for any bad things that I do. And, um, and once I really owned that, and just came to, you know, that now it's like, yeah, uh, my goodness, I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed to have that. And I should, I should accomplish great things. I should hold myself to high standard, where much is given much is expected and required. And, I have been given a lot. And and if that's, you know, if that's a quote unquote cross to bear, then my goodness, I'm lucky to have that relative to, you know, some of the other challenges that that people might have. It's just a great opportunity. And so changing that perception and being very willing to engage in those conversations um, and give them all the credit that they deserve uh, has really helped me just to kind of let that burden go if there ever was one.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a beautiful answer, and I think there's a lot of parallel there to what we were talking about before with the with the statue of responsibility. I think that theme really carries through um, from what you were talking about before to to right there. And and for anybody listening, what you just defined as I think the the measure of success and or the definition of success that to me that what you just articulated is such an absolute, uh, just masterclass for anybody who's paying attention. And I mean, honestly, I think you just articulated. What I've kind of felt on my heart and what the sentiment and what my goal is in this show is, you know, what are, what are we really working towards? Are we aware of what we're working towards? You know, are, are, are our actions aligning with what we're going to care about long term? So thank you so much for articulating that in the way that you did. That was, uh, that was perfect. So I want, to, I want to transition a little bit. I want to talk about uh, your marriage. If you're cool at talking about that, uh, tell me yeah. a little bit about your, your wife and you know, maybe how you guys met and what stood out to you when you first met her.
1: Yeah, well, we've been married 16 years. Um, kind of remarkable that it's been that long. The reason why that number is crazy to me is that's the first anniversary of my parents that I remember. I remember their 16th wedding anniversary. I don't, for, for whatever reason, I don't remember anyone before that but I remember the 16th wedding anniversary. Um, And, uh, and they, I think they're, they're celebrating, or they just celebrated their 42nd. Um, So kind of amazing uh, how that's happened. But um, yeah, I met my wife in college and um, we were in, she was in the first college class I ever took, which was a public speaking class. And the moment I met her, I was, and love like i you know there, there was definitely love at first sight for me yeah um she took a lot more convincing um we we quickly became friends and the last speech of the class that we were assigned to give was a persuasive speech so in all of my boldness i decided to give it on why a girl should date me <laughs> i got an a on i got an a on the talk for the record <laughs> um, but, uh, but she did, she did agree to go out with me. And then I ended up believing, um, after two semesters at college to go to Rome, Italy, to serve a mission for my church. And we stayed very briefly in touch, um, you know, kind of through letters and emails and the like. And then when I got back, um, we ended up meeting up uh, a few months after I had, I had come back. And what was amazing is while I was gone um, I, she had uh, decided to do, um, a semester at Disney world where they have, you know, they have the ability for you to earn college credit. Yeah. And, uh, she loved she loved Disney world had gone there as a kid, you know, so had we, so she went there, um, while I was in Rome and, um, you know, she's, she's just beautiful. She's a, she's a gorgeous girl. And so while she was working at one of the attractions, someone said, you should try out to be a character so she decided to go ended up being cast as they say as uh as Belle and sleeping beauty and worked there ended up staying there and working there for kind of another six months and came home well i come home and uh my parents have decided hey we're going to take the whole family down to to disney world so i sent her i think i sent her a text and was like hey we're going to your old stomping grounds. She was like, you won't believe this, but they just called me several hours ago and we hadn't really met up yet. Like mm-hmm. we had just been talking um, because she was out West and I was out East um, said, you won't believe this, but they just called me and said like they're having a princess shortage, which I guess happens. And um, they asked if I could come and, uh, and work next week. So I'm, I'm headed out there. Like, in a, in a day, I'm going to be there while you're there. I was like, well, we should meet up. And, um, and from that moment when we met up, uh, we've, we've been together ever since. So, um, what a story! yeah, it's kind of, kind of amazing how that, how that all worked out. And, um, yeah, she's the best. She's such a great mom. She's a great companion. I lucked out big time and, uh, really, really grateful for her
0: in my life. So you're a, you're a busy dude, obviously you've got a lot going on with, with your family, with, with your business, um, with the, with the working out. I know, so you've got the whole rack and the Peloton, everything behind you. <laughs> it's a uh, facade. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just green screen. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about the, the role that your wife plays, um, in your, within your family and uh, maybe how you support her in her role.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I don't think there's any question that um, there, there is no question in my mind that I couldn't reach whatever level of success that I have um, without her incredible support. Um, she's just, you know, she's constantly, her love language is service. Um, you know, you kind of hear about the, the, I think there's three love languages, right? Uh, touch task. And I don't remember the third, but hers is task, meaning service. Like she just loves to, she loves to serve and um, she gets a lot of joy out of it. And so she just like, she's always trying to find ways to make everybody else's life easier. And, um, and it just, it's really empowering. It makes, it, it makes me feel like I can achieve anything because I know that I have that unfailing backstop behind me and I realize not everybody gets that. Um, she's just, it's just who she is. And, uh, she, you know, I never have to question her love or her commitment to me. I've always felt really, really secure in that. And, um, and that's, you know, that gives me a lot of confidence to, you know, to go and and try and fail. And and I have, I have tried and I have (laughs) failed and she has not, she has not backed away or, um, you know, thought any less of me or judged me. And, um, and I think that's like, it's just such a powerful thing in marriage to have safety. Um, mm. Because it's really the most <laughs> important relationship. So, um, but it, it hasn't been without a tremendous amount of work. My mom always um, will tell people, my mom's a marriage and family therapist, um, nice. went to Columbia after all of us graduated from high school and got her masters in in social work and therapy. Um, And she reminds us all love is a verb. Um, It's an action. You know, you, if you love someone, you, you must be constantly showing them that. Um, And, uh, and nobody lives that more than Dana does. She's that's really just who she is.
0: If you could go back in time and give yourself um, some, some marriage advice, maybe if you could talk to to Nate 16 years ago on the day you're about to get married, um, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? Yeah.
1: You know, I think probably this was advice I was given and it's definitely been proven, but there, you know, there's this old adage, never go to bed angry. And it is the worst piece of advice, (laughs) the single worst piece of advice I think you could possibly give to a new really married couple and um and Dan and I learned this pretty quickly in in our marriage. you know when it 's late and you 're tired and something comes up, and they 're always dumb things they 're never yeah. like really big meaningful things, yeah, and you start you start bickering towards each other. We have found that a good night 's rest goes a long way in clearing up pretty much you know most disagreements <laughs> yep and so we've we 've employed that where it 's like well let 's just let 's just get some rest you know, rejuvenate, (laughs) take care of ourselves. um, And, uh, and, you know, we'll be be ready to have a more thoughtful discussion the next day. It it, like almost every single frustration or argument that we've ever been in has been late at night. (laughs) And it's because we're tired. (laughs) Winston Churchill has this great quote where he says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And it is really true. I find that when I am at my worst it is when I'm not eating right or I'm not sleeping enough or I'm not taking care of my body. And the opposite tends to be true. When I'm doing those things, I tend to be my, you know, the best version of myself, which means I can show up the best for, you know, for Dana, for the kids. So I would just, I think I'd just emphasize that point. Like go to bed, angry. It's okay. Wake up (laughs) and realize like, it's not that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. I uh when you when you first said that, I said I love it. And but I think the sentiment is the same, is that it's it doesn't have to you, not necessarily gonna solve the problem tonight, but sometimes it's like, all right, babe, listen, I love you. We're going to sleep. Yeah. Let's talk tomorrow. Totally. You know, we'll we'll yeah. s- chalk it up as a loss tonight. We got this tomorrow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I somebody said something the other day that I really loved where he's like, if you think of the week like a seven game series, and you know, of course, probably just growing up with my dad. Um Uh, working in sports this really resonated to me because i remember a lot of game seven series with the knicks yeah um you really only have to win four four games to win a seven game series so think about your week as a seven game series win four out of the seven days and you've won the week and um it helps you realize like you don't have to have every day doesn't have to be perfect um you do have to have enough good days in there to you know to to win the to win the series and You're going to have some weeks where you don't. And then, but it just kind of helps reset me on uh, when I have a bad day. I'm like, all right, well, today I lost. Tomorrow I have to win because I got to win this seven game series. So
0: I love that metaphor because it really, it's so, it's so hard to just say, all right, I'm going to write up a little plan and this is how the day is going to go because life is life. Things, things change Uh, all the time. So let's, let's transition uh, once again, over to speaking about your kids a little bit. Um, and we'll, we'll just dive straight into it. Um, what is your, what is your favorite part about uh, being a dad? And that's a, that's I a think, big open-ended question, but I'm just going to lob yeah, it out there.
1: Yeah. You, you, you've, uh, you've got some good ones. Um, I think the best part is seeing them develop, like seeing them develop and progress mm-hmm. is like, you know, for me, and it doesn't matter really what it is. Uh, one thing that Dan and I both believe is, So many kids are over-programmed today. I mean, from the time they can walk, they're ice skating and, you know, running track and, you know, playing soccer. And it's like, we've really tried to have our kids be kids um, and enjoy this time in their lives. Um, And they, you know, they participate in sports um, and, uh, and we want them to strive for excellence. But it's more about kind of their character development that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, today I, I, got this new thing. It's called a Vesta board. I give these guys a shout out cause I just love this product so much. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a, it's a board that this guy made patterned after those kind of French railway station boards where they flip, um, and you can control it from your phone. And so you can kind of put any message on it and it makes this kind of beautiful flipping noise. And so, mm-hmm. um, we got it about a week ago and every day I've been putting up kind of a new quote for the kids to, to read and like see at breakfast. And, um, and I told my wife, I was like, you know, we've never done an allowance with the kids, but maybe what we should do is we should do a weekly allowance. And if they can tell me the quote at the end of the day, memorized, you know, they get a couple bucks towards Mm. their, towards their weekly allowance. And so it's little, it's kind of little things like that, that we spend a lot of time on and seeing them progress and grow and have, you know, have success in their own minds is, um, is really the best part about being a dad. And, and also just, you know, kind of my dad has always been my hero and I see him, you know, in a Cape and to feel that way from three little kids is really special because it makes you want to strive to be who they see you as at all times. You know, I that's like the thing that stands out for me is I want to be the person that my wife and my kids believe me to be at all times when I'm not with them, when I'm, you know, at work, the way I treat people, I want them to be able to go up and watch a film and realize like, you know, I, I, I strive to be that person at all times and be really authentic uh, to that. And, um, because our example rings far more in their ears than, you know, than our words.
0: I love that. Um, Nate, you are, you are a very successful guy. You've had a lot of success at a young age. you got a beautiful family. Hearing you speak about your family, hearing you speak about all, all these other things, you're, you're very articulate. You're charismatic. You're thoughtful. Um, anybody listening to this is probably thinking, man, this guy's got it. Like He's got it going on. So I'm going to ask you two questions and I'll let you pick which one to answer pretty much the same question, two different ways. Is there anything that you personally struggle with, or is there anything maybe that you're working on to improve within yourself right now?
1: Yeah, well, you're really kind, Brendan, to to say that. Um, And it's funny, I think I acknowledge in myself that I realize that sometimes, you know, from the outside, that can be the perception. The reality is, is I really struggle internally with, you know, with inferiority complex, with, um, you know, with this idea that I'm not good enough or I'm not reaching my own goals. I have very high expectations of what I should achieve and what I can achieve. And the hard thing for me is being settled. Like, you know, my, my wife loves to tell people I'm, I'm really bad at relaxing. And that is true. <laughs> like we go right on vacation. That and um and she is very content to sit in a beach chair and read a book and i envy that i wish i could do that i just i don't know if it's my add or you know my drive but usually i'll be out like trying to figure out how to kite surf or um you know learn how to deep sea scuba dive or you know i just don't know how to stop sometimes Mm -hmm. and um and so i tend to i tend to I tend to grind myself down sometimes just by, you know, trying to, you know, trying to reach some level of unrealistic expectation or trying to cram too much into too short a period of time. And I think the hard thing for me and what I've gotten a lot better at, especially into my thirties, I really struggled with this in my twenties is the words that I say to myself. Um, One of my favorite books is as a man thinketh and um, it's a, It's just a fantastic, it's so simple Mm -hmm. and it's really straightforward, but the words are really penetrating and deep if you consider them. And, you know, the, the, he talks about, we are effectively cultivating a garden in our minds based on what we plant. And so the question is, what do you say when you talk to yourself? You think about what you say, when you talk to others, you think about what you say, when you talk to your kids, how careful are you in terms of how you talk to yourself? So I've gotten a lot better about about kind of not getting down these downward spirals of the way that I talk to myself. And it's really helped me a lot. And part of what's helped me too, is to just be really open about it, that I struggle with it. Um, Because, you know, part of of the challenges is, you know, especially for men is this is not something that guys talked about before. I I don't think, I just don't think it was that prevalent. I never remember hearing somebody who had at least an outside perception of success admit that they struggled with something. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was kind of, I'm super regimented. I always do the same thing every day. I don't, I'm imperfect that way. I strive really hard. And, uh, I think I, I, you know, tend to win the seven game series, but I'm not always seven for seven. I'm Mm -hmm. not always six or five for seven, (laughs) you know, and then there are weeks that are really bad and I don't, you know, I don't get there and that I really struggle. Um, And I think what helps keep me on a path is having enough of self check-ins to kind of say what's going wrong. Why am I in this rut? How did I allow myself to get here and try not to get too high and try not to get too low, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to drink your own Kool-Aid when things are going well, I've really figured this out. I've got, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm a big shot. Um, and it's really easy to get down and think I'm the worst I've failed everyone. I've let everyone down. And the answer is almost always in the middle. And, um, and so those are the things that I really struggle with is just kind of, you know, net, like just getting down on myself, being really, really hard on myself. I've always been that way.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I, I think so. I think just in general, men, and we think about the, the general, you know, man, husband, father, so many of our circumstances are so similar. Like we are in, in, in a bigger framework, living, um, similar lives in a lot of ways. And it's, it's not crazy to me to think that we're all struggling with a lot of the same insecurities and, and mental battles. And, uh, you know, it, it, like you said, it's not something that's always been talked about. There's a lot of posturing. And I think that leads to isolation for a lot of guys and sends people down a bad path that can be hard to recover from over time. So, I yeah. appreciate you for, you know, leading from the front, being a voice to be like, yo, this is what's really going on. Who else? Come with me. Come on. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: it, I've, uh, I don't know if you've heard of every man, but they're this group that we've partnered with and I love the work that they do. I've attended a couple of their conferences, but one of the things that you do and it's highly uncomfortable, like do not <laughs> go into this. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Um, you, you walk around this room and, you know, they have you stop and whoever like you're like make eye contact with first, you get up and you are like nose to nose. I mean, it's not quite that close, but you're really, really close. And then they will ask a prompt and you have to answer it in front of the other person. And one of the things that they start with, and they'll give you like a minute and they'll say, what I don't want you to know about me is, and then you finish the question and you just keep going until a minute's done. And I remember, um, Coming face to face with some guy I've never met ever, like just happened to be in the room with this guy, and trying to think about what are the things that I try and hide from people. Um, we sometimes we call them masks, right? And the masks that we wear, and it's exhausting to try and keep up perception of, you know, especially perfection. We try so hard to protect our identities to, you know, help make people think that we've got everything perfectly put together. What if we just let that go? It is actually such a great weight to unburden yourself. And it's like, I oftentimes have no idea what I'm doing. Like it feels so good to say those kinds of things and to say, mm-hmm. I'm still figuring it out. I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. Or um, you know, I'm dealing with this doubt, or I'm dealing with the struggle, or I don't know how to solve this one problem in my life. And um it's just really freeing. And it's not only freeing for you, it's freeing for other people, because, you know, I think that's part of what I've learned is, you know, I have a couple of friends who are like, I just, you just, you, you, you're just killing it on every level. And I'm like, guys, sometimes I'm just happy to like, get out of bed, put two feet on the ground and like, you know, get showered and dressed. That feels, you know, it feels like a win that day. Because, um, because life's hard and it's, you know, and and I have every advantage possible in my life, and it's still hard. So it gives me a lot of empathy for other people, and it also just helps me stay realistic with myself.
0: Awesome! I literally couldn't have said that any better myself. So I won't even try to contribute past that. So I want to be respectful of your time. I have one more question for you, as we uh, move towards wrapping wrapping up our conversation. So you know, life goes on, kids grow up, we get older. One day we we will you know, God willing, we will leave our kids behind here on earth. And, um, you know, when I think about what legacy means to me, I, in, in, in the broadest sense, and the most, in the realest and most meaningful sense, I think about the moments, the memories, the lessons, the, you know, just the experiences that we leave our kids with. So if you put yourself in that situation, what do you want your kids to remember about their dad?
1: Yeah. I've thought a lot about this. Um, in fact, I had this really interesting experience a couple of years ago that gave me a lot of perspective. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Coco, but, um, if not, it's like, it's a tearjerker as a dad, um, because there's this song in there that, that they sing that's that a father wrote as a lullaby for his daughter called remember me. And it's this exact point kind of wrapped up in this little lullaby um of you know what will you remember you know what will you remember about me and and my now six-year-old at the time i think he was three maybe two and a half it was his favorite movie like it's the only movie he wanted to watch he he, he he's funny because he tends to get <laughs> very obsessed and like go through phases with things but he was in he was in a coco phase and so every night when i put him to bed i would sing him this song. It's what he wanted me to sing. And I remember I was about to leave for a conference in Colorado the next day. And I had this like overwhelming stinging, like, what if this is the last time I see my son? And um, it was so gripping that I got out of bed at two in the morning. And I actually like made a whole document called just in case, like, here's all the things that my wife needed to know like plane crash, car crash, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and I just, and then I recorded some videos for my kids and I was just like weeping, I couldn't stop crying. Um, just trying to help convey in such a short period of time what I wanted them to remember, what I wanted them to know. And it has, you know, and then of course, um, thankfully did not die going to Colorado. <laughs> And um, but it really crystallized for me and put into perspective what I want my kids to know. And first is like, you know, what I want them to know is that we are all brothers and sisters that, you know, this collective human family is a family and that everyone should be thought of and treated as such. And when you see all this infighting and categorization of, you know, race or gender or um, you know, country identity, it really should dissolve away and see people as people and that everyone's hopes, dreams, and fears, you know, should be real to them as they are to themselves. Um, and then the other thing that's really personal for me is that, you know, we have a, we have a God and a God of miracles. And, um, and so those are kind of the two things that really stood out to me. Um, and what I hope they remember, most about me is that, you know, that I loved them fiercely and, you know, with a deep sense of pride for, for them and that I wanted them to be kind to others and I wanted them to be faithful. And, uh, and that's really kind of at, at the center of what I care the most about.
0: That's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. So Nate, uh, to wrap this thing up, where is the best place for people to find more about you and about your company Roan?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Roan is, you know, our website is just www.roan.com. Um, our social handles are at Roan. And, uh, for me, it's really simple. Just Nate check it at Nate check I'm not big, uh, at posting on social media. Um, I just, I, uh, it's, I've, i found for me, it's one more thing. So, um, <laughs> it was easy for me to cut out so I could focus on, some other things in my life. But if I if I do post anything, it's usually on LinkedIn or on Instagram.
0: Nate, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, so many nuggets in here. I cannot wait to, to get this out and let, let people listen to it. So thank you again. I know how busy you are and how valuable your time is. Thank you so much for for giving us that gift of your time and and uh, dumping your brain on us a little bit. We appreciate it, brother.
1: All right. Thanks, Brandon. All
0: right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See you.